Amen. All right, well, let, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Um, and so if you missed last week, first of all, that's totally okay. Um, if you've missed it, though, we have recorded that lecture or, or talk that Mr. Listen, my old Bible teacher, gave, um, and it is on the PVN Students podcast in your podcast app on your phone. Your students can show you, or it's on pvnstudents.org, and just under Listen, you just click on Youth, and you can go through there as well. And then the slides that Mr. Listen used are also in that link as well. But if you can't find them, if you're having some trouble navigating, just, just let me know, um, and we'll, we'll send them to you, okay? So you can, have, you can get all those resources. But, so, like I just said, most of you were probably here last week, as, as Greg Listen shared with us, and I think I speak for all of us when I say that he, he was such a blessing. Like, it was super helpful, um, and, and he just did this great job, and I'm sitting with my wonderful, supportive wife over in the back in the sound booth, and in the middle of his talk, you know, Mr. Listen was just laying it down, doing a great job, and in the middle of his just wonderful spiel, my w- supportive wife leaned over to me and said, how are you going to follow that? <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I was like, I have no idea. Um, I was like, I have no idea. So, but so speaking in the same vein of, of my wonderful wife, she showed me this video that we're going to show in a minute. She showed me this video a couple months ago on TikTok, okay? Now, those of you who don't know, TikTok is an app on your phone where you can play or watch videos that are up to three minutes long. Okay, is that fair, students? Did I get that roughly right? So up to three minutes long. Um, And she showed me this video, and I was like, wow, that's so cool, and it really stuck with me. And as I started prepping for this sermon, I saw that ABC News had actually picked up the video as well. Um, So some of you may have seen it on TikTok, and a very different group may have seen it on, on ABC News. So it's a video of a toddler at a birthday party. You may have seen this. It's this video of a toddler at a birthday party or at a daycare of some sort, And this woman walks in and begins to play the violin, okay? And the toddler, according to ABC News, this little kid's name is Thomas, and Thomas is playing with his toys, and when the music starts, when the violin starts, he immediately drops his toys and just just zones into this lady who's playing the, the violin. And in the article, ABC News, I mean, he's just 11 months old, and in the article it says this is the first time he's ever heard the violin, And the kid, like I said, is 11 months old, and so his social cues are not, like, developed yet, obviously, right? And he just, like, waddles right up to this woman playing the violin, and her ankles are, like, right here. And he's just, like, staring at her. Um, And we actually have the video. It's a minute long. um, So check out this video real quick and and just kind of watch. And then you got some sound there, Bry Guy, or Misty, either one. Uh, that's not what the violin sounds like. <laughs> it's a real, no wonder he was so impressed. Watch how he really sends it home in a second here. <laughs> Is that okay? Sorry. The mom says, is is that okay? Sorry. No interest at all. (laughs) Pretty awesome, right? Pretty awesome. Um, so, so, yeah, you can clap. Um, so, so, 
Here's why I'm showing you this video, okay? Here's why I'm showing you this video. This kid is 11 months old, right? No one has brought a book to him that teaches him this is what you do when you love something, right? No one has taught him how to do this yet. This is what you do, Thomas, when you are really enjoying something. No one has shown him how to do that yet. No one has taught him how to respond to something that he loves. So how does he know to do this? He's 11 months old. Because it's hardwired into him. It's hardwired into him. We are wired by God to be drawn in. We are wired by God not just to see things, but to behold them. So we'll have some slides going, but the first one is, we are wired to behold, okay? We are wired to behold things. We are wired also not just to behold them, but we are wired to be changed by what we are beholding. We are wired not just because the eyes see things, but the soul beholds it. See what I'm saying? And we're wired not just to see things, not just to behold them, but to be changed by what we're seeing. There is no such thing as just seeing something. Oh, I'm just looking at something on the internet. Oh, I'm just looking at something on my phone. There's no such thing as doing that. Because look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says this. The eye is the thing about seeing and beholding. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Do you see the connection there between the eye and the rest of it? Doesn't just what you see doesn't stop at your eye. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What we see impacts who we are. What we see impacts who we become. We we become what we behold. And if now if you're a sports fan, you know this maybe better than anybody. Um, my aunt is a big Atlanta Braves fan, and she lives with my grandma, and she watches every Braves game. And when you walk into her house, you can tell very quickly whether the Braves are winning or losing, right? <laughs> if your sports team is doing well, if you're watching, remember the eye, if you're watching your sports team do well, you're having a good day. Work wasn't that good, but I'm great now because I'm watching my team win, and I see my team winning, and therefore it feels like I'm winning. We are, you're, this is a small way that you are becoming what you're beholding. What you see is affecting what's, what's going on in here. Now, when your team is losing, people know not to talk to you, maybe. Some people may not even need to be in the same room with you anymore, right? Because watching your team lose feels like you're losing, And listen, being a sports fan is fine. I I love sports. But the point here is, on this next slide, the things that draw us in, they shape us. Even something as small as a sports team, the thing that draws your eye in shapes the rest of your body, shapes what's going on in your soul. Does that make sense? As you see these things, you're interacting with the things that you see. They impact the things that we see They impact our day, they impact our week, they affect our mood and how we speak to each other. In short, the things we see impact 
who we are. We are wired to interact with what we see. There's no such thing as just reading a political article anymore, right? You read, your eyes receive it, and there's a reaction via fist pumping or fist pumping the other way, right? There's, there's a re- we interact with what we're seeing. We are shaped by what we see. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5. Now, check this out. This is the second commandment, okay? This is the second commandment, which is worshiping idols. So watch what, now think about what we see. Now watch this. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Notice this is the first part of the command. We're not even to the worship thing yet. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. You shall not worship or serve them. Isn't it interesting that when it comes to idols, God first tells his people, do not build them. Then he says, don't worship them. You'd think he would just say, don't worship idols, but that would, that would shortchange his people. That's not how idols work. God understands the way idols work is that you behold them first. You see them first, and that seeing draws us in to worship. That's why he says, don't build them, because if you don't build it, then you can't behold it. And if you can't behold it, then it won't draw you in and change you. We become what we behold. Now watch this in a good way. Mr. Listen showed us this verse last week. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Watch the connection here. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Leave it right here for a second, Brad Guy. While we behold what's happening, see, it's not just, well, you just see Jesus. There there is a seeing that's taking place. There's a beholding. As we're seeing Jesus, we're being changed. We're being shaped by what we see. Because mankind is built, we are, it's not not wrong, we are wired by God to be affected by what we see. When Eve eats of the fruit of the tree, what does it say? Eve eats saw that the fruit was good and pleasing to the eye. As she beholds it, it draws her in. Does that make sense? I literally just thought of that. It's not even in the notes. Seeing Jesus, we are changed. What we see impacts us. So, next slide. If we are wired to behold and we become what we behold, then the key is to make sure we are beholding the right things. If we are wired to behold things, and if we are wired to be changed and affected by what we see, then the key is to make sure we are seeing and beholding the right things. So, how can we help our families and ourselves behold the right things? Some practical steps, but a quick word before we get into the practical. And we talked about this last week, and this is huge. Every family is different, right? Every family is different. Um, Some advice that we give here may not work for your family dynamic, and that is perfectly okay. Um, And I think you'll find in in the book that we gave you last week, The TechWise Family, which we'll give away again at the end of this, 
in Andy Crouch's book, there may be some advice in there that just doesn't work for your family. And Andy's a world-leading expert, right? And I was talking to Christy Campbell and Jan Leonard last week, and, and we were talking about how even, even not only are each, is each family different, but your family three years from now is going to be a lot different than it is now, right? Kids get older, new responsibilities, things change. So these rules are meant to be, the theological word, squishy, right? They're meant to be, I don't want to lose you there, they're meant to be used, they're not meant to be these steel things, because that, that's, what, that's what breaks people, right? They're meant to be used um, as you guys work through them in your family. So it's not one size fits all, but how can we impact our families so that no matter what new technology happens, we are still prepared? Well, here's the beginning, and this is probably the most important slide in this entire thing, the center of our lives. Here's the key. Here's your outlook. Here's your starting point. The key is to remove, is, excuse me, the key is not to remove technology from our lives, but to remove it from the center of our lives. Work to push technology, not out of your home, but out of the center of your home. You see what I'm saying? That's the key place to start, okay? Not to move technology out of your life, but out of the center of your life. Not out of your home, but out of the center of your home. And that's Andy Crouch. So some action steps. So first thing to check out here. And by the way, we'll publish all these slides later as well, okay? And there's not going to be a quiz, so don't feel like you've got to remember them all, right? The nudge, and this is super important, and this is from Andy Crouch as well, but this is so important. It's a small change that is helpful. And Andy says this, the most powerful choices we make in life are usually not the big decisions, but the daily patterns and routines. The daily patterns and routines. So how can, this is our first step. How can we make small changes in our routines that over time will have a big impact? Okay? Small changes. So a few that, that we'll just list here. Um, leaving your phone in another room during a family meal, right? And I think you'll find some of you will say, well, we're already doing some of that, and which is great. You're, you're not as far behind as you think, okay? Leaving your phone in another room during a family meal. Just keeping the focus on what's going on at the table. Um, leaving your phone in another room during a movie night, which notice, by the way, there's still technology involved. Does that make sense? But leaving your phone in another room during a movie night or during family time, okay? So parents, let's talk about this a little bit. Take full advantage of do not disturb, okay? This is an iPhone thing that's going on here. Do not disturb. Can you go back one, Brian? Sorry. For those of you who don't know, do not disturb is the moon picture in the settings on your phone. And your students can show you this, okay? But do not disturb is literally the way, a way that you click the button and you don't get any calls or text. You can close it down while you're exercising or at night when you go to bed or things like that. But see, here's the thing with Do Not Disturb that's cool. Um, my mom was trying to figure out how she didn't, she didn't want to get phone calls late at night, like via, you know, people trying to sell you something or whatever. But she also wanted to keep her phone on so that if one of us needed her, we could call her. And she didn't want Do Not Disturb because she needs to hear from us. You can filter Do Not Disturb to where only people listed in your favorites can get in touch with you. So that way you can keep out, you don't have to have a work call. Like if you're on vacation and you and your kids are in two different places, you can put on Do Not Disturb so that way you don't get calls from work, you don't get calls from school or whatever, 
but you can still get calls from the rest of your family. Does that make sense? This is just about stewarding technology. And forgive me if, some, if, if a lot of you know this already, but th- this is just one easy, low-hanging kind of nudge where you can, where you can do this, okay? Um, let's see where we're at. Okay, have one charging station in your home, just one, where everybody goes to plug in the mom, dad, sister, brother, where everyone, where everyone goes to charge their phone, and that's where it charges, Okay? This helps with accountability. Um, this helps with, and we'll get into this later, this helps with getting rid of what we would call passive screen time, which I'll talk about in a minute. But just having one location where all the phones charge makes it we know where our phones are. They're either with the person or they're charging or they're lost, which happens. But that's, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Um, another kind of easy thing, I, well, easy in concept anyway, is Phone charging equals time for other things, okay? This allows a built-in routine time without your phone. It's dead anyway, or it's dying anyway, right? So while it's plugged in, I know the rule in my house is I have to go do something else. This is an easy way to start implementing time without your phone because it's charging. It's not like you're wasting it. It's sitting there. It's charging. It's getting power back. You can go do other things during that time. And again, it's not revolutionary. This is just an easy nudge, a way for you to get more familiar um, with time without your phone. You go to the next one. Okay, slightly different than the phone. Family computer. If you have a family computer, the goal is that it should be in an open room or at least facing an open room. And what I mean is not facing a wall, where the screen is facing a wall, where the only person who knows what's going on on that computer is the person on the computer. Does that make sense? Like, it shouldn't be like this. It should be like this, where people can see what else is going on, okay? Um, It ensures safe viewing, and it prevents what we would call unknown screen time, okay? What is so-and-so looking at on the computer? I don't know. It could be fine. It may not be fine, but we don't know. Does that make sense? And this isn't, and and we'll get into this when we're going to talk about privacy in just a few minutes, which is going to be awesome. Um, But... You know, it's not, and and students especially, it's not that anyone thinks you're trying to hide something. It's not that anyone thinks you're trying to be deceptive or sneaky or anything like that. But if you bump into something that is not good and you don't have anyone else around around you who sees that, then it's hard for us to help. Does that make sense? So we'll get into that more when we get into privacy. But So that's one easy way to do it. It's a family computer. It sits there. Do you guys remember the dial-up noise, how awful that was? For, that was and you got the, the MSN little uh, butterfly phone. Anyway, so, okay. So family computer needs to be facing an outward space where everyone can see what's going on, okay? Um, let's see. When at a restaurant, again, another easy one. When we're at a restaurant, try to find a table where TVs are not immediately viewable and leave your phones in the car. That's another easy way. Phone's not here. Now we can focus on family stuff. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Um, this is from, straight from Andy Crouch's book, Car Time is Conversation Time. This is another one where when we're in the car together, we're, we need to be talking or singing or arguing, right? We need to be doing things as a family together. Um, and that's okay, and that's perfectly fine. Um, so let's get into another kind of section. So, the, so those are nudges, some easy, low-hanging stuff to just try, right? And we'll talk about trying in a little bit. So build in no phone times. And here's the key. Can everyone read that bold for me? One, two, three. Start slow. 
start slow, okay? You don't have to, like when we get done here, you don't need to throw all your stuff in a dumpster and, and go Amish and never come back, right? You don't have to do that. That's not the goal. And that'll be whiplash and it'll be horrible. Start slow. One hour per day without the phone. And that doesn't have to be meditation time or time where we're not doing anything else. It could be the hour that we eat dinner together, right? It, that could be the hour that we don't use the phone. It could be a movie night. Again, technology is still involved. It's just not constantly connected to you, right? And you're doing this as a family. Movie night is technology with a purpose, which we'll talk about. A, a game night. And again, I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff out here, right? One hour per day. Can you, can you think about how to work in one hour per day? It could be the first hour of your day, the hour that we're getting ready for school and eating breakfast together or whatever, right? Um, or yelling at each other and running out the door. Like, that's fine. That, that hour without technology. All right, next one. Let's, let's build a little bit here. Um, can you work in, is there a way to work in one day per week without your phone? Now, if that doesn't, I've already seen that that may not be possible right out of the gate, which is fine. Can you do one half day? And we don't, we don't have one day that we, don't, that we don't have a phone. I'm just, these are ideas. One half day per week. And that sounds like a lot, but it's really not. I mean, Saturday morning. Could it be from 8 to noon, we're, we're watching TV? We're, not, we're just not on our phones, right? Or is it Sunday morning, the Sunday morning that we go to church? Like, mom and dad bring their phones and keep them just for safety reasons, obviously, but everyone else will just check our phones when we get back from church. Is that an idea? Any times during the day, and for some families it may be 30 minutes a day, and that's fine, that's okay. Are there ways that you can start to be proactive here as we do this? Start slow. And add time as you get comfortable. So, next slide. Um, let me catch up here. Um, start slow and easy. Okay, here we go. Morning and evening. Andy Crouch says this. Our devices should go to bed before we do. And it's by far the best if their bedroom is as far away from ours as possible. So find a central place in the home, far from the bedrooms, and park the screens there before bedtime. Uh, it is scientifically blatantly clear that your brain is helped without the screen of your phone as you try to go to bed, okay? Crazy as that may sound. A couple of practical ways to tie that in. Um, here are some ideas. If your bedtime is at 10, phone's off roughly around 9. And if 9 is too crazy, then do 9.30. Let's start here and let's work our way back, Right? Um, trying to get your brain off that screen for an elongated period of time before you go to sleep. Buy an alarm clock. Kids' alarm clocks were these crazy, like, in amazing devices that make these crazy noises in the morning so that that way the first... Because think about it. If you're... Yeah, there you go, Jeff. If you're... If the like, if your phone is your alarm clock, then the first thing you wake up with is your screen, right? Having an alarm clock is an easy, is an easy way to where the first thing you do in the morning is not open the screen. Like for me, if, I, if my first thing is the alarm clock, it doesn't stay the alarm clock. It stays, I turn off my alarm, I'm checking email, I'm checking Instagram or whatever, I'm, I'm texting people. It always leads to more screens, right? So an alarm clock is a quick way to just cut that off. And, that way, and then you can get out on your phone after you're actually awake. Uh, Grown-ups, right? When you get to work, Go and speak with a coworker before checking your email, right? Instead of getting straight into the office and, and jumping on the email, go and chat with 
one or two coworkers first, if that's possible for you, right? And it's, just this, it's the same thing as with the students with the alarm clock on their phone. Don't let the screen start your day. Does that make sense? Don't let the screen start your day. Can you put email only on your computer instead of on your phone and your computer? That way, you're staying away from your phone and you're getting on your screens with a purpose. That's the key here. Let's go to another step here that's really interesting. TV. Could there be, and this is just something to think about, could there be another room in the house for the TV rather than at the center of the house? It doesn't, it doesn't carry well if mom and dad are saying you can't be on your screens all the time, but then we watch three hours of Blue Bloods before we go to bed, right? Which is what Skip does, so that's, that's from my dad. But uh, does, do you see the disconnect there, though, right? All these screens, you can't do it. But then, and it's hard to send the message of how screens are not the most important part of our family if there is a screen in the center of the household. Does that make sense? And that's not that it's wrong to have a TV in the middle of the living room. This may not work for you, and that's okay. But this is something to think about, right? Are you creating an environment where some of these changes will, will easily take root, right? Um, do you have a TV in your bedroom? Do you have to have one in there? There's not a right or wrong answer. That's just something to think through, right? Um, so here's the big thing is we're trying to make screens purposeful. That's the key here. We want to eliminate passive screen time. Passive screen time is you, you, you wake up with your alarm and you check it on your phone and then you're just on your phone for like 15 to 20 minutes before you get out of bed and you start doing your thing, right? Checking your email becomes surfing the web, getting angry at the news, checking your sports scores, and now it's 30 minutes and now we got to get up and go. You see what I'm saying? That's pa passive screen time is turning on the TV, having it on while we're talking as a family, having something on. You're not actually watching. Does that make sense? It's passive screen time. Movie night is having a screen, using technology, but using it with a purpose. Um, playing games on your phone, playing heads up, you know what I'm talking about, that game on your phone like charades, that's using your phone. You're using your phone, but it's with a purpose. Does that make sense? You're, you are in control. With passive screen time, you're not in control. Watching TV as a way to relax, you're, that's a purpose. That's purposeful screen time. This, isn't, this doesn't need to be some sort of crazy changing everything, but it's all about making sure that you're the one in control of what's going on with the screens. Um, you would be shocked at the change that would take place if all we did was eliminate passive screen time. Checking your phone in the 15 minutes that it takes while you and your friend or you and your parents ride to the doctor's office or to the baseball game or eliminating that so that we can just talk. Eliminating the, Think about how many rides over the course of high schoolers, how many rides to practice have you had over the last six to seven years? If you took the phone time away from all of that, how many hours, how many days is that, right? Eliminating passive screen time. Okay, some last things here, some last things to think about, some notes for parents. And this is for the kiddos as well, though. Let's talk about privacy for a second, um, because sometimes the, the first pushback is 
you're interfering with my privacy. Um, I'm 31. I don't have kids. Uh, I read my Bible. That's about as far as I can go with some of this stuff. And this is why I say this. Parents should have access to their child's technology. Period. Parents should have access to their child's technology. And here's why. Here's why. Don't throw any rocks at me. Um, the immediate, you guys are way too nice to do that. I know you wouldn't. The immediate pushback is, but what about my privacy? Okay? It's not, what about my privacy? Here's what I would submit. Instead of asking about your privacy, think about your environment. Instead of asking about your privacy, think about your environment. Because here's why I say this. Privacy can create an environment where sin can easily grow. Does that make sense? Privacy can create an environment where sin can easily grow. There's nothing wrong with privacy. Privacy is not a sin. There's nothing wrong with privacy. Dressing rooms should be private, right? Changing rooms should be private. There's nothing wrong with privacy. Just like there's nothing wrong with a dark room. As long as we understand that mold grows much faster in a dark room. Does that make sense? We have to understand that privacy is an environment. And it's not, again, it's not about, Mom, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. I, I know you're not trying to hide anything from me. But the problem is, if you bump into something online that's not good, and no one is around to know or give you accountability or help you think through what you're seeing, that's where that mold grows. You see that? Being alone, all sin starts with separation. All sin starts with being separated from. That's why we put the computer facing out here. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm doing the most boring stuff on this computer you could possibly imagine. But other people know that. So I'm not tempted to push into things that I shouldn't be pushing into because the environment doesn't make room for it. And again, this is just something to chew on. Parents, I'm sorry if I just threw you to the wolves on the way home. But it's just something to chew through and think about. Instead of just asking about your privacy, think about your environment. All these nudges and tips and tricks are about assessing the environment of your home. Okay? A couple other tips and tricks here. Mom and dad, don't be legalistic, right? Some of these rules may need to bend. The charging station is here. Maybe son or daughter needs the phone for homework purposes. I don't know, throwing it out there for homework purposes, and it needs to charge while they do their homework. That rule may need to bend a little bit, right? It's just, been, it's just one of those long car rides. Hey, check your phone. That'd be awesome, right? Like, that, that's okay. Like, be flexible here. Be, don't be legalistic and be flexible. All right, next one. Don't get discouraged. Keep trying to manage your technology. Keep trying. Try. Do you know how many, I mean, I don't know, but do you know how many, like, times it took Thomas Edison to figure out all the stuff he had. How many mistakes the guy made? Um, our, the CEO of the company I used to work at was a guy named Russ Crossan, and he was just this financial guru, and people would tell him, Russ, you're just so smart. And he would say, I'm not smarter than you. I've just made more mistakes than you have, right? That's how he got there. Think about it like this, mom and dad. We tried to manage our technology this way, and it didn't work. Then we tried to manage our technology this way and it blew up in our face. Then we tried to manage our technology this way and that didn't work. Yeah, but the, the common theme all three times is we're trying to manage our technology. We're trying to manage our technology. We're trying to manage our technology. That gets through. 
That gets through to your students. The heart of what you're trying to do will push through that, will push through those errors. They know, the family knows, technology matters. We're not doing it perfectly, but we want you to understand that as you get ready for college and et cetera, et cetera, that this matters. That's the point. That's 80% of the job right there. So don't grow discouraged. Keep trying new ideas, okay? Last one, and I know you know this, but it just makes sense. Be sure that your kids know that if they mess up, if they fall into sin with their technology, be sure they know that they can always tell you about that. I've seen a lot of parents, and I think this is a great idea, I've seen a lot of parents when their kids get a cell phone, they have to sign kind of a family-made, homemade contract, right, of I will do this, I won't do that, and that's great. I think that's a great idea. I think this should be an addendum, a little contract language, I think that should be in there too. This needs to be part of it, that you can always come to us if you get tangled up in this and you don't know what to do. And that's not, you know, that's not an open guarantee that it's going to work, obviously. I think everyone knows that. But at least you've opened that door. You need to be the first one to, because that's a weird conversation. That's a weird conversation. So mom and dad, help them by opening the door to that conversation, okay? Um, people used to talk about mindless viewing. It's just mindless viewing. There's really no such thing as mindless viewing. Because we become what we see. We become what we behold. So let's work together to shepherd our families and ourselves to be sure we're beholding the right things. Last slide. This is an awesome prayer from Psalm 119. Open my eyes so that I may behold the wondrous things in your law. I think Jesus is boring. I don't think he matters. I think it's old-fashioned. This is a prayer for parents, for their students, for parents, for themselves, for students, for themselves. I think this book is boring. I don't think it matters. I don't even know what to pray for. This is a place to start. Show me, Lord. Show me why this book matters. Draw me into the good things in life to behold.